You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning, everybody. Hi, uh, my name is Bob Gilligan, and I'm the director of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and thank you for joining us here this morning on what hopefully was a beautiful Easter celebration. We are taping this program a couple days earlier uh, because we're not going to be here on Monday, so uh, welcome to our program this morning. Nevertheless, we still have a, a good lineup on uh, interesting topics to talk about. Uh, let me go over the rundown for the uh, program here today, this morning. And uh, we should remind you that we are also being podcast, and so you can check the, uh, the podcast, uh, the Catholic Conference Radio Hour, on YouTube as well as uh, on the radio here this morning on AM 750 WNDZ. Um, let's go over the lineup here briefly. Uh, we have three topics we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first topic is um, something we are starting to get more involved with, and we'll have a very interesting conversation with our first guest. His name is Mark McCombs. He is a pub- public policy analyst for a group called the Safer Foundation. And Mr. McCombs will come in and talk to us a little bit about the Safer Foundation, describe to us what's going on there. Uh, we'll talk for about 15, 20 minutes with Mark, then we'll make a jump to um, our second guest is my colleague in the state of Florida, Mike Sheedy. He's going to talk to us what's been going on in Florida. All we hear about is Disney and what's going on in the public, private schools, public schools, with regard to legislation that is pending there. The whole country's talking about it. So we'll, we'll get Mike's take, uh, Mike's take on it. Uh, at about 11, I'm sorry, about uh, 20 after. And then uh, our final guest is uh, somebody who I just met recently. His name is Shane Hartman. He is the new director, uh, executive director of the Illinois Church Action on Alcohol and Addiction Problems. They are probably most known for their stance against casino gaming and gaming and things like that. And we're going to talk to Shane not only about those topics, but what can we do to best assist people who do have problems with um, alcohol addiction, gaming addiction, etc. So Shane is new to the job. He'll have some good insights there. Um, and we'll talk to him at uh, 20 till the hour, or 40 after, if I can do my math correctly. Uh, so let's do this. Um, without further ado, let's bring in our first guest. His name is Mark McCombs. He is the uh, public policy analyst for a group called the Safer Foundation. Mark, can you hear me? You can see me. I can hear you, Bob. Thank Great. you. Thank, thanks for joining us here uh, for a couple minutes this morning. Um, Mark, let's talk first of all. Uh, let's. Uh, I'm sure many people do not exactly know what the Safer Foundation is. Why don't you describe what Safer Foundation is and, and, and your role in it? Sure. Thank you, Bob. And thank you so much for making the time for us this morning. Safer Foundation is one of the nation's oldest and largest organizations that's solely dedicated to serving the reentry community, people who have been incarcerated and are making the transition to reentering their communities. We try to do that 
on what we feel is a holistic basis that responds to the social determinants uh, that cause people to recidivate and to try and address those issues in a manner that uh, helps people succeed and thrive and not wind up going back to prison. We do things like job training, job development, education, we provide housing resources, uh, mental health uh, resources, physical health resources, if necessary, we address food insecurity issues. All of the myriad of problems and obstacles that uh, an individual faces when they're trying to make that very difficult transition from prison back into their communities. How does somebody find you? I would think that um, if I had done something wrong, uh, went through the penal justice system and and was released, um, I probably go back to where I was before I got arrested. I think most do. They probably go back to that same lifestyle, which I think does probably lead to some problems with people recidivizing if that's the right word or <laughs> committing bad acts again that get them in trouble so like how does how do you find these people do they find you do you search for them um, tell us how that works uh, all of the above and okay. we work very closely with the Illinois Department of Corrections oh, good to uh, create uh, what we like to call a warm handoff yeah. between IDOC and uh, the community so that especially uh, more so in the uh, pandemic era, one of the lack of better term blessings in disguise of the pandemic and the emergency release uh, that occurred from Illinois prisons as a result of that was the collaboration we were able to engage in with IDOC to create what we call peer or prison emergency early release response program uh, that did create that warm handoff where uh, individuals, inmates in the system uh, were provided with contact information uh, to connect them with one of our community navigators uh, so that there would be a person there, a voice on the other end of the phone, ready and waiting for them uh, when they get out. So we do some of that. Uh, Some of it is outreach into communities. Some of it is people just finding us at our website, www.saferfoundation.org. We do things like I did immediately before this broadcast where uh, we did a webinar on uh, various know your rights, know your remedies, know your resources topics uh, that are broadcast directly into IDOC uh, in Cook County facilities uh, to be able to get the word out as to what people's rights are and to give them an idea of the type of resources that we provide. So it's not only, it's not only prisons that we tend to think, well, I don't know, uh, maybe I do because it's just the nature of what we're focused on state stuff. So it's not only prisons, it's jails as well. You're in Cook County Jail and the local, and the, and municipal jails as well, I guess, throughout the state. Yeah. We're, we're, in, we're in Cook County Jail. Uh, we're trying to expand into the Collar County Jails and then uh, into the IDOC facilities. So I, I, I have this notion that I think that most, I'm not sure if this is true, but it seems that, uh, that because of the population center being in Cook County and Chicago, a disproportionate number of the crimes are probably committed in Cook County, Chicago. And if an individual is, is sentenced in the state system, they probably go downstate or in the central part of the state. So, it, 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 and I would think that that is also, I mean, you're isolated in jail anyway. I get that, but, or in prison. But then going back uh, to where you were, there's that also that geographic kind of change in your lifestyle. It can be, I mean, these individuals, I'm sure, have been incarcerated for what, three, five, maybe maybe even longer, 10 years, that kind of thing. So that's, it's got to be a difficult transition trying to, if you're really truly trying to reform 
transform your life, getting back into, you know, a healthy uh, lifestyle that doesn't lead to, you know, the, the bad behavior before. It, it, it is a difficult transition. And, and what we see especially is that probably about half of the incarcerated population returns to the Chicago area. Uh, most of those individuals return to one of six neighborhoods in Chicago. Those six neighborhoods represent about 10% of the city's population, uh, but they also re represents about 25% of the violent crimes in the city and 30% of the homicides. So this is part of the problem is yep. that we continue to try and address these issues by creating penalty enhancements and by creating new crimes instead of looking at what were the social determinants that got people mm -hmm. into this situation to begin with or, or, or caused them to continue to, to get into this situation. You know, Brookings Institution, I, I think, put it best. Most folks that wind up in prison didn't have much of a first chance, yeah. let alone a second chance. Sure. If penalty enhancements and, and new crimes worked, yeah. we wouldn't wind up with the 40% recidivism rate that we have now. We've got to create healthy people because when we create healthy people, we create healthy communities. Yeah. So um, the way you and I have kind of intersected here is is um, glad to hear the work, good work Safer Foundation's doing. But there's some public policy changes, too. I think the, you have uh, mm -hmm. come across some problems with the law, uh, some problems with funding programs, that kind of thing. Talk to us a little bit about kind of what Safer Foundation perceives as uh, challenges in the current law and, and, and maybe some ways that we can make things a little better um, from, a, from a macro perspective? Well, it, it, as I said, you know, it, it's no secret that we have violence going on in our communities. We don't see the answer as being as uh, what's happened traditionally and even what happened in the last uh recently adjourned session of the legislature where uh, we, we try and create new crimes or try and penalty enhance our way out of this. As I said, if we did that, we wouldn't have four out of 10 of our incarcerated individuals going back to prison. Uh, and we wouldn't have the state's current projection where that rate is not going to go down in the current fiscal year. The, 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 the cost to Illinois every time someone recidivates is $151,000. The projection for the five-year period ending next year is a total of somewhere between $13 and $17 billion. And, and that's the dollar cost. The, the cost to our neighborhoods in terms of crime and violence is even higher and i don't think that you know it, it's any secret or any need to go through that mm -hmm. so what we see is the need to reimagine the way uh we respond to individuals who are becoming justice involved and we've done this through a six bill package that we've caused to be introduced into the legislature that we call our second chance state initiative and without going through the you know hundreds of pages that that are involved in that there, there are two main components that that i wanted to highlight one is the need to consolidate the for lack of a better term hodgepodge of uncoordinated siloed programs that are out there now that cause that uh, returning resident a tremendous amount of frustration because they don't know how to 
they don't know that they're out there. If they do know that they're out there, they don't know how to access it. I always say it's it, it's like trying to to treat a, a, an ill patient with with 15 doctors at 15 different hospitals, none of whom talk to each other and all of whom keep the patient on hold for an hour. Uh, we want to consolidate that into a single statewide agency that we're calling an office of returning resident affairs that will coordinate all of the different programs uh, across the state through community-based organizations operating from 13 different hubs uh, around the state and it replicates very much what um, the General Assembly did when it passed the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. And then we also want to reimagine uh, when we start this process. Uh, instead of starting it when people are being released from prison, uh, we want to reimagine Illinois' response to begin to provide services to individuals upon their first contact with the judicial system mm -hmm. when there is much more that can be done than later on in the process when there's a lot more that needs to be undone. So that, 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 that gives you a basic idea of what we're doing. And then, of course, we, there, there are component issues that address education, housing, uh, uh, mm -hmm. employment uh, through a, a, a public works contracts bill and uh, the, the tremendous shortage of behavioral health care workers that are available not just to the formerly incarcerated, but to the state as a whole. The, I want to talk a little bit about, you had mentioned um, from the first point of contact when they first come in, it seems that's the time to start uh, uh, working on um, reducing recidivism when the person first gets into the prison, into the criminal justice system. Um, <clears throat> we had been involved in the past with some efforts to try to uh, and act like incentive programs for good behavior and, you know, and, and, and pay for uh, participation in programs, that kind of thing. And we were never wildly successful with the Department of Corrections. And I know the Department of Corrections has a lot on its plate. Um, their main job is to make sure that, you know, uh, people are secure and safe and don't harm others in the jail. But there's also a component, I, I thought, of um, rehabilitation. And, and it just seems that um, they sort of struggle with that, and I'm not pointing fingers and blame, but it does seem that we need to have a little bit more attention given to what happens when individuals go in there on the rehabilitation as opposed to just warehousing them for, you know, 10 years or however long their sentence is. Well, and, and, that's, and that's very true, you know, that, 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 that if you talk to um, – like like I do regular, like I have in the past, if you talk to, to people who have been incarcerated, they'll tell you that it's not really correctional mm -hmm. and it's not really rehabilitative. It's it's exactly what you said. It's it's warehousing. And and I, I always get a kick out of out of because you can see the progression as as people get older, the, the biggest deterrent to crime is age. That's right. Uh, yeah, the guys true. who have been in there, the, the people who've been in there for a while will tell you, hey, you know, I, you know, you reach a certain age. This isn't Tired. fun anymore. <laughs> right. um, and to, to IDOC's credit, that is changing. I, I think that the, the current administration recognizes the need to to start focusing more on keeping these beds from getting refilled from closing that revolving door of, of, mm -hmm. of intergenerational recidivism. But once we get you know, our focus and our emphasis has been that 
once we get to that point, we've already lost a tremendous amount of time uh, in that person's life and a tremendous amount of ability to change. And, and we've lost that ability to prevent the impact that incarceration has uh, on, uh, on an individual, on an individual's family, on an individual's community, because they all are impacted by that person going to jail. That's why we feel the need to not ignore that focus because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's crucially important, but to start much earlier in the process and to provide the services that an individual needs it, it, it and i stress the word individual because every individual's need is different and i think that's one of the issues that um the provision mm-hmm. of service in the state of illinois has not taken into account that we need to focus on what that particular person needs at the beginning of the process so that, as I said, there's more that can be done than at the end when there's a lot more that we have to yeah, undo. Yeah, and, and, that, and, then, and then you have that transition, as you indicated, once the person is out. Let's say they are trained or they have taken this seriously. The, the, the struggles that they must encounter when they get out to try to be a productive citizen and contribute and, and get their lives back in order has to be very difficult. Cause I think you said that what they all almost like X percentage of them go back to like six neighborhoods in Chicago. So, you know, it, it, it's, and, and then the question becomes in those neighborhoods, are there jobs there? Are there services to help them? Um, so they kind of stay on the, on a, on a good path. That's gotta be very difficult for people coming out that because unfortunately they probably tend to go back into the same situations they were before they got in. Well, you, you think about it for a second, Bob, you know, we, we warehouse these people. We don't provide them with the necessary training that they need, especially with, with, with young people who are coming out. Uh, we don't do a heck of a lot to provide anything for them. Uh, they come out oftentimes without uh, the ability to receive Healthcare without uh, the ability to receive uh, the mental health services that they need, and they go back into the environment from which they came, where you know for generations uh, they they've seen the same situation, and then we're surprised that they wind up back, right back. in prison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and we really shouldn't. The unemployment rate for returning residents, for formerly incarcerated people, is higher than the unemployment rate was for all people in the United States during the Great Depression. Um, the the, the, the housing down. insecurity rates are are off the charts. Where homeless mm-hmm. men, I think it's something like two-thirds of the homeless men in the Chicago area uh, report um, having had a prior criminal mm-hmm. conviction. Um, yep. So unless we start getting to these social determinants, and again, doing it, on an individualized basis, um, because we've learned that one size does not fit all here. Yeah, we're yeah. going to continue to have this enormous rate of four out of ten people uh, going back to prison. Yeah, I had somebody say to me once years ago, "When does the X become an X when you're a felon?" You know, it, it's true. It, it's it's tough. It, I mean, it I doesn't. get it. We, yeah. We, we say this all the time is, is that, you know, incarcerated individuals, and I shared with you that, uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm a formerly incarcerated individual. You get branded with a scarlet letter. 
and 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 you may be sentenced to three, five, seven years, whatever it is, but you really are sentenced to a lifetime of being unredeemable. Right. And we need to change that mindset in Illinois. These are our brothers and our sisters. These are people who are coming back to our neighborhoods. Um, And until we start deciding that we're going to give them a second chance and maybe a third chance and maybe a fourth chance and keep working with them until they have the foundation and the tools and everything they need to succeed and thrive, we're going to continue to have this problem. Yeah. So there's a couple of bills I know you have introduced, but that's probably uh, probably the topic. I think you've hit on the broad uh, strokes of them, helping individuals when they get in, get on a better track, uh, making that transition when they are released from prison. And just touch briefly, though, you mentioned something about behavioral health. Pick up on that for a minute. I know you'd mentioned about those opportunities. Sure. We, we, we in Illinois, we have a tremendous, and across the nation, we have a tremendous shortage of behavioral health care workers. I believe that uh, something like 33, 35% of the people in Illinois live in areas that are not properly served by uh, behavioral health care workers. The shortage has gone up by something like 200% in the last few years. Our shortage and the, the, the rate of decline has actually uh gone faster than uh, in uh, the states all around us. To uh, combat that, there have been a number of uh, initiatives that have gone through the General Assembly or mm-hmm. tried to go through the General Assembly. Ours in particular is what we call the Second Chance State Behavioral Workforce Training Act, which would provide, I believe, something like 200 scholarships for returning residents uh, to be trained in any number of mm-hmm. uh, behavioral health care uh, professions, all the way from psychologists, licensed clinical social workers, um, to drug and addiction counselors, to peer support. Because what we found is, and, and it, it makes common sense, that uh, an individual who has lived experience uh, is more impactful with that returning resident than someone who has not. Sure. The person who, who, when you speak to them, you know that what you're saying resonates with them based on, on their lived experience, experience is going to be able to uh, have more of an influence on that returning resident than, than someone else. Great. Mark, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. Um, We will talk further about this. It's only April, so we're not going to be doing much of the legislative work here for another couple months. Uh, We're all very happy about that. Uh, But when we come back, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about with these, I think you said six bills you have in your package, um, and we'll see how far we can get on each of them. Mark, thanks for taking some time, and uh, please check out the Safer Foundation. Uh, It's www.safer.foundation.com. Org. That's saferfoundation.org. Mark, thanks so much. Thanks, Bob. Yep, take care. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We're going to be joined by Mike Sh- with Mike. No, we're going to be joined by Mike Sheedy, who is the uh, my counterpart in the state of Florida at the Florida Catholic Conference. We're going to talk about a little bit about what's going on up down there with uh, this controversial legislation about what's being taught in schools or not being taught in schools. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 